Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. If country borders and grids can fascinate you and state names intrigue you, if atlases, globes, city plans, subway maps, and of course, world maps are your thing, if you can name the capital city of Namibia, and if you get giddy about flags, you are in the right place. This is Map Corner, a podcast about the love of maps brought to you by Royfield Brown and Claire Asprey. Now on with the show. Hello and welcome to Map Corner. I'm Royful Brown, who is 52.49 degrees north and 1.89 degrees west. So I'm still in Birmingham. I'm in lockdown Birmingham. And with me is the wonderful woman who goes by the name of Claire Asprey. I presume you're in Clapham, Claire. I am in Clapham. Indeed, Clapham, Bedfordshire, 52.1 degrees north and 0.5 degrees east. Map Corner is a podcast dedicated to the love of maps and to all things cartophilic. So if Peter's is your projection, folks, you're in the right place. Uh, this month, we're talking to uh, cartographer Anton Thomas, who has uh, spent five years making uh, the most amazing hand-drawn map of uh, North America. And it's got another, a number of other projects on the go. We also have an audio postcard from William Lim. Uh, from Edison in New Jersey. And folks, don't forget to review us on Apple iTunes because um, if you review us, basically more people get to listen to the podcast. And once again, we're on Zoom today with members of the podcast community from App Corner. So um, those who have joined us and can ask questions. And if you want to join with the next broadcast, then just follow the Facebook group uh, to get the details to log in for the next show. Normally, we record on the first Saturday of every month at 6pm UK time, which is 1pm Eastern and 10am Pacific. But our guest, Anton, is in, in Melbourne, Australia, so we had to move things around. I'll start with the first question, Anton. Are you an artist or are you a cartographer, sir? Which one is it? Before we come on to actually the stunning thing that you've actually done. That's a pretty good question. I mean, a, a lot of people ask that because it cuts to the heart of whether or not cartography is art or it's not. And personally, I think all map making is an art, uh, even when it's purely for sort of very, uh, you might say, square circumstances. <laughs> it's, it requires a heavy design element. To me, at least what I'm doing, it's art about place. And place is the most central characteristic of what you're trying to explore there. I mean, in terms of a job title, I try to go for cartography artist or art cartographer. I don't know. I mean, to me, all, all map making is, is art. So, so if, we, if we go all the way back, when did you discover, A, that you were quite good at drawing? You had a creative and artistic bent. And when did you discover a love of cartography? Well, both very, very young. I mean, literally as, as young as I can remember. I grew up in a small town in the South Island of New Zealand called Nelson. It's, it's a beautiful place. And the thing about New Zealand is that it has a very remarkable geography, a lot of diversity in a small area, really, really stunning mountains and, and coastline. The environment that I grew up in was just objectively very beautiful. 
you drive two hours in New Zealand anywhere. It's a breathtaking drive. And my mum would, would give me the, this was back in the nineties. So she would give me a, the, the road atlas um, to guide the way. And I would look at all the twists and turns of our coastline and just kind of fantasize about all the adventure that was suggested by the empty spaces or the not empty spaces. And also my grandfather, he lived in Wellington, which is a 20 minute flight from Nelson. It's the capital. And I'd go visit him from time to time and I would hop on a little plane and on that flight, you fly over the Marlborough Sounds, which is this network of drowned uh, valleys. It's an incredibly beautiful flight. And so I would just look out there and be astonished that all the places in which my life was set uh, was suddenly revealed above as this kind of amazing theater of, of geography. Um, so I always had a bent for geography. And I always loved drawing. I loved drawing animals. I loved drawing cities. I loved drawing creatures. And I had my own comic books when I was little. Uh, so naturally, the, the, the mapping kind of fed into that. And at what point did, did you decide that you could combine these two kind of loves, these two, these two passions? Because to me, they are separate. You, and you're completely right. There is a lot of beauty and creativity and there is a certain aesthetic to a map. And what got me um, really fired up about maps was actually the color, colors of countries on a, on a political map. It was actually less the, the, the physical world. And the fact that the ex-British colonies were, were red or pink, as crazy as that sounds, and it was the pink next to the orange for, for, for China or the yellow for Russia. But, but when did you kind of really knit these two things together? And, um, and then how can an artist really stamp his or her mark on a map when there are so many conventions around maps? You know? mm, yeah, that's, that's a really significant question. And I, I, I want to answer the first part first, but I don't want to forget to answer that. But um, in terms of the artist putting their, their impression, with the conventions, one of the reasons I like to draw them by hand is because drawing things by hand guarantees a certain amount of organic expression is going to come out. Um, it's just inevitable. It's, it's, you're not using fonts. You're not using the, the color wheel from Photoshop. You, you're doing it in this very physical way. And so that just guarantees a certain amount of, of natural expression there. It's, it's the difference between a synthesizer and, and playing a, a guitar and bending the strings, you know, there's something just guaranteed there to happen because it's an organic process. So that's really to the physical aspects. But in terms of when they really started to be knitted together, you know, it was really interesting. Again, as I was a kid, I always used to draw maps, but I didn't really combine them. I was obsessed with drawing coastlines because I guess I thought that was something I could show off with at school. I don't know if it was particularly effective, um, but I just wanted to be able to memorize coastlines and draw them by hand. So that's something to this day I'm very good at. I can just draw anywhere and, and very easily um, from memory uh, because I did it as a kid. Then once I became a teenager, I sort of forgot about maps. I always loved them, but I wasn't drawing them. And I got obsessed with playing guitar. And then I did that for a few years. And I only did one significant map in my teenage years. I was about 16. And it was this map of the world. I don't know why I drew it out of nowhere. Um, and it took me months. And it's a map of the world. The coastlines are shaped out by animals. And the negative space that the animals leave give you the coastlines. I drew that, 16, got back to my guitar. Next five, six years, no more maps. But that experience and also the feedback I got from this particular map always really, really stuck with me. I remember loving that process. So that was a really foundational moment. But then... When I was 21, I moved from New Zealand to the US and to have a backpacking experience. And I ended up, ended up spending two years exploring across the US and Canada. And towards the end of it, I was living in Montreal. I'd become completely re-obsessed with geography because of travel. If you already love geography and maps and then you're traveling for the first time, I mean, it just supercharged it. All of a sudden, all of those places that were just names and lines were suddenly very, very real. And coming from a small island country, going to a continent like North America was absolutely astounding to me. I mean, just my sense of how vast it was, it, it was, I'll never forget those, those early months uh, when I was first in North America. So yeah, the geography came back. I started drawing them. 
And that experience of the map I drew when I was a teenager just was in the background. I thought that was always so much fun. So I started sketching maps again. And when I was living in Montreal, we had this refrigerator that was uh, covered in brown stains. It was something we got off the side of the road, a very Montreal thing to do. And my housemate said, hey man, before you leave, could you draw me something on the fridge? I'm going to paint it over with white house paint and I want you to uh, decorate it. And so I thought, sure. And I I drew him a map of of North America on the fridge. It took me six weeks straight, freehand, (laughs) all the little skylines. It just, it was just the two years of travel I'd had um, and all the pent up mappiness that I had not expressed since a teenager, it just came out on this fridge, you know? And Funnily enough, that fridge was the uh, predecessor really to the, to the big one. And I didn't know that at the time, kind of how they came together. Pent up wow. mappiness. I, Anton, <laughs> you are so in the right place here. You are very much the map corner kind of guy. Like if you think that drawing coastlines from memory is the thing that makes you cool at school, um, <laughs> well, yes. you are among friends here. <laughs> I think uh, this might be the only community, yeah, one of the small communities in which that genuinely does make you a cool person. Um, yeah, really impressed by that. Um, so yes, can you t- tell us a bit more about how the... Um, the, the map on the fridge emerged into what was effectively a kind of years long kind of a hobby to develop something so detailed as the North America map that you finally completed. The fridge map, that experience really, really spoke with me. And at the time I was, I was 22 and I had not gone to university. Well, I still haven't been to university, but I, back then that, that was still a, a big question mark. I think two years on the road working as a, as a cook, partying, you know, doing the thing you do when you're 22, it takes a toll on you. And I felt very rudderless. And the first time that I didn't feel rudderless in a long time was sitting in front of that fridge. Not only because I loved the work, but people would come in and suddenly they're pouring over a fridge for half an hour. And I'm sort of going, hmm, there's something here. This is kind of cool. So I went about my travels. I continued to move around, but I I kept thinking of that fridge because it gave me a certain peace and and serenity that I wasn't finding anywhere else in my life. Uh, So I moved from Montreal. I traveled a little longer and then I moved to Perth. Probably not the best city for me. Um, There, uh, immediately, I started a new map. The fridge experience was just too awesome and it gave me too much meaning. Again, without any thought, I just got this big piece of um, mat board from uh, Framers in, in Fremantle. I put it in my bedroom on top of some milk crates and I sketched out the coastlines of, of the southern part of Asia from Pakistan all the way around to, to China, um, all of Indonesia, Australia, New Zealand, and the Pacific Islands. And I just started drawing it. And this time I wanted to use color because I'd never used color before. And... Uh, I ended up spending six months on this map, which is called South Asia and Australasia. That really took things to the next level because I was starting to get a lot better at just drawing. I was getting to a level I didn't think I was capable of. And um, I was also learning about this whole swath of the world. So that was really exciting. Um, and again, that sense of meaning and exploration was, was just growing and growing. Uh, so that map took me through the period of, in Perth and then I moved over to Melbourne and I thought I've got to do North America properly because the fridge isn't going to be enough. And I've learned all this stuff now with, with uh, the Australasia map. So let's go, let's do this right. Not on a fridge. Let's do this on a, on a piece of paper um, and not on card either because you can't roll card up. So that was pretty, pretty brutal to, to, to move around. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I was in Melbourne and I, uh, as soon as I found a, a flat, it was like a six person share house. I went and got a big roll of paper and I sized it all up and I, um, found the Google, uh, I went on Google earth actually, and just sort of zoomed out on the continent of North America and kind of found the, the angle I wanted and using a projector, I shunned that to the paper and traced out all my coastlines like that. And that was my, my skeleton for the piece. So how do now, you decide on how big the thing should be in the first place then? Cause that, that's a really fundamental decision, isn't it, I guess? <laughs> Things that are fundamental decisions, I didn't put a lot of fundamental deciding into. Uh, <laughs> whether it was, oh, let's just draw this on a fridge without thinking that the fridge was 
was an actively in use refrigerator filled with food next to a sink doing the dishes water would splash on the ink and I'd, it would like mess up what I was drawing. I mean, it was really, really bad. And then in the next map, it was on card, which was terrible. And so with the North America map, I just found the aspect ratio I knew I wanted for the projection to really get North America right with, with Alaska, not too massive. And the good thing about Google earth is that it curves away when you zoom out. So it's a, a perspective projection. So that allows Alaska to be contiguous, but also at a nice smaller size. Cause if you take all of Alaska and half your map is ocean and, and the lower 48 are tiny. So in terms of the size, I mean, I was, I had no idea, no idea what madness I was getting myself into. I thought it was going to take me six months like the last map. And for a lot of people, six months is crazy. What, why exactly did this map take so much longer going into the specifics for us? Firstly, it, is just a really big map. It's, uh, it's five feet tall, four feet wide. That's a meter and a half by 1.2 meters. Uh, so it's a pretty big map and I draw at magnification as well. So, so I'm, my details are, I fit a lot in. I was, you know, still many years from this being my, my uh, source of, of income and, and, and how I, you know, pay the bills. So I had a day job. I was out of the cooking game. I was actually working as a I got a nice easy job working as the photocopy guy at a local high school here in Melbourne. And that just gave me all the space I needed to do my creation. But it did mean that I was only able to work on it during the night times and the weekends. Quite quickly, I realized if I was ever going to finish this thing, I would have to more or less get rid of my entire social life, not see family, friends, not go on holidays. But and just do this. Uh, and with all due respect, sir, have you been such a map nerd? Did you actually have a social life? Did you really? <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Um, I can spend literally countless hours just drawing maps with, with, and having a blast the whole time. We are in lockdown here. We've been locked down here for months in Melbourne and it's miserable, but I'm very happy drawing maps. You know, it's, it's, I can just do it. I could do it f probably for forever and I wouldn't even notice. Uh, but I'm also, you know, I, I like people. I'm very social. I'm, I'm able to function in those environments when not drawing maps. So I call it extreme balance because usually before 2020, before things went crazy, my life was um, drawing maps for say six months a year. And then the rest of the time I'd be out doing speaking tours about the maps around the world, especially in the U.S., so I would sort of go from extreme isolation to extreme gregarious social life. And that was just my way of balancing it. Yeah, it's a strange existence. <laughs> There's no doubt. Have you ever had someone from your family saying, I'm your mother, you never visit me, you too busy making a map? Were they supportive of the passion for the maps? Or did they think well, it's just a, a horrendous time-consuming hobby? My mum is, um, she's an artist herself. So she very much understood where I was coming from in the sense that as long as I'm creating, I'm, I'm pretty happy with whatever is going on. But yes, she definitely was like, it'd be nice to see you more. And are you worried that all this time alone is going to, uh, is going to have some repercussions? And I said, no, you know, cause I'm having fun. And also she could see that the work that I was doing was good and it was growing and it was starting to get an audience. If I was not seeing her all the time because I was just like playing video games, then yeah, I think she would have been very, very concerned, but she could see it was a productive use of my time. So in terms of building an audience, when you're making them up over such a long period of time and you were sharing kind of work in progress, pictures and so on from it, how did that attention build over the time that you were working on the map? <laughs> one of the benefits, not that there's that many, but one of the benefits of doing a very long project is that you can build a hell of a lot of anticipation. So people have been following the, since 2014 and I didn't get it released in print until the beginning of this year. Um, although I finished it at the beginning of 19. So I would put updates all the time and people would say, Oh wow, he's in Honduras now. And oh, okay, now we're back in Quebec for some reason. And now I'm on the ocean and I was bringing people along um, for, for that journey. Uh, now I'm a bit more experienced with social media with my new map. I'm, I'm really trying to do that more, but yeah, people felt involved. And in fact, I would get folks email me with ideas for places that were coming up, um, which was really exciting. I remember I had one guy, uh, Ryan from Chicago, um, who's a friend of mine now, and he sent me a long email back in the early days 
because he loves Greenland. He's never been to Greenland. He's just fascinated by Greenland and he knew it was on my projection. So he sent me this amazing document filled with ideas of what I could draw in Greenland, the different animals, the cultural aspects, um, the certain famous mountains. And it was super valuable. You know, he saved me hours and some things I might not have picked up. The, the thing is that place is very, very important to basically everybody. Certainly the places that you're from or that you've traveled to that you know, but even places that you don't know that just fascinate you. And so the kind of work that I'm doing where it's all displayed in a very visual and, and visceral way, people feel engaged with it enough to offer their thoughts. And that's a beautiful part of this process that I just absolutely adore is um, hearing about what people think of representations of place. Yeah, and I think that that was one of the questions I was going to ask. It was around how do you decide what makes it onto the map? Because you've got things around, you know, particular types of animal that are famous in certain places or famous buildings or bits of uh, kind of natural environment. And there are some things that are really iconic, you know, your Golden Gate Bridge and your a lot of places people have a real fondness for their, you know, their state motto or you know, animal or whatever. And I guess there must have been quite a lot of competition to get space on the board. How do you oh. wean out the ones that you're actually going to include? <laughs> you're exactly right. You can certainly do it wrong, but I don't think you can do it right. I don't think my approach, it's just so catch-all and the world is so vast and complicated that, you know, I'm trying to hit elements of culture, economy, history, obviously the physical geography, uh, the flora and fauna. You could never get it all. Uh, and because people care about where they're from rightly, it can get kind of controversial potentially. Uh, so my approach with, with everything is that I learn as much as I can about a place before I even put pencil to paper at all. So it's all done in stages. They're all, every session is a mini map. You know, it's okay. South Carolina. Now that's, that's my week. It's going to be South Carolina. Before I do anything about South Carolina, I'm reading everything I can about it. I'm going on, um, looking at, at videos about it and just trying to get a sense of what features keep showing up. I'm never trying to do an exhaustive list of anything. That's very important, apart from certain things like state capitals, obviously, and, and the easy stuff. But in terms of there's a hockey symbol up in Canada, but there's not the, the NHL hockey symbol in, in LA. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm not doing every NHL symbol, but I'm, I'm putting hockey where I think it, it could fit. It's hard. I mean, and, and this is one of the things about art is that you have that creative license and that's a very powerful and important thing. But when you're dealing with places that are integral to who, who we are as people, that's why roughly 40% of my labor is research for that reason. And but, but you know what though, Anton, I've, I've got a real good solution for you. Cities in North America with hateful American football teams, just ignore them. Dallas, forget <laughs> about it. There, there's a star. Oh, you won't be happy you. to hear about Dallas. Yeah, there actually is. I think the it's a star, right? The the Dallas Cowboys. Mm. Yeah, they did make it on. I didn't do a lot of um, God uh, damn NFL, it. but <laughs> <laughs> I actually went interesting with sports. I tend to go with with college athletics more than the major leagues because I found that firstly, major leagues are usually in giant cities which have got tons of other kinds of content you could put. So it's like mm. hard to do the major league list. Whereas the college athletics are more likely to be in smaller centers where they're really, really part of the fabric of the culture. For example, putting a Razorback in, in Northern Arkansas, you get everybody in Arkansas on your side by doing that. And it's very simple. We'll just put a nice wild pig up there in the Ozarks. It, yeah, it's quite different to trying to do, say, all four teams of Chicago next to the Muddy Waters guitar that I have there and um, next to the big impressive skyline and so it's all case by case you know. And what was the main thing when you when you go out and talk about the map and you're doing tours you know what kind of audiences are you getting and what the responses that you're getting in different places is it different as you go around the country? Actually yeah depending where I was I would often tailor it you know to focus on that if I'm in Montana I would I would certainly spend extra time on Montana etc. Um, usually my tours for the last four years were centered around the NASIS conference that's every October, the North American Cartographic Information Society, which is just an incredible community that is in, has been really wonderful for me. Sort of feel like I've really found this, this amazing um, 
tribe of people that love maps and obviously professional cartographers. So that was really important. So what I would do is I would take the NASA's conference and then just hit all the map societies in the big cities, use various leads to, to do talks, uh, places like the Rumsey Center in Stanford or um, uh, the Chicago Map Society has a really big following. And just wing it and go around. And sometimes I would have friends who would just say, Hey, can you come in and talk at my office? And, you know, I, I'd be traveling around with a big print of the map because as I was working on it every year, I'd get it scanned so that it was safe. And then I could take it on tours. So it was like me and the map in the uh, airplane and flying around and really cool to go on tour with that map. So Anton, what you're describing to me is like a world rock tour. So there were like map groupies in like where, like uh, Detroit and whatever. Like this sounds incredibly awesome. What I'm utterly fascinated by is the fact that you've turned this into a profession. You make a living from this. Yeah. But before we go on to the quiz, and then we'll let the listeners ask you a couple of questions, explain how that actually happened, how this actually became a job, a living. One of the good things about being a perfectionist and having a considerable attention to detail, because you can't spend five years hand drawing a map if you don't, is that a, a very unusual and unique business requires a hell of a lot of homework. I finished the map in March 2019, and it took me until February to launch it. A full year where I wasn't doing a single bit of drawing, all I did was, I mean, it was like, all right, I'm now going to spend three weeks learning about us taxes and exporting and then it was like all right now i need to learn about offset printing now i need to learn about digital gclay printing and limited editions and every single part of it what was helpful was that the real launch of my business was centered around one very simple goal which was to sell prints of this map to a pretty significant audience that i'd built up over the years you know i knew it was going to sell well i just had to get it right now, I quit my day job close to three years ago. So there was a period of time before I launched the map where I, my income was mainly from giving talks at schools. And that was nowhere near as lucrative as, as, um, as selling prints. It was still something, you know, it was, it was, and that's dried up this year, obviously. So I'm glad that the rest of it's going. But look, the basic core of it was had a big audience. They wanted the map. Nobody else has a map remotely like it. It's a completely unique product. So I knew all of that and I cared about it very much. So I wanted to get it right. So all I had to do was figure out how do you print thousands of maps and ship them around the world? That's it. And, and, you know, from there I had to fully go crazy. You know, I had my whiteboard. It looked like I was trying to solve a serial killer thing, trying to connect the GST to this, that, and the other, but I did finally figure it out. And I launched it just before the, the COVID crisis came in, which was really good because that would have made a few things a bit more difficult, but it's been the prints of the North America map, which are obviously available on my website. And it was posters and also limited editions because this actually cuts down to your question about art and maps. This is a really important point. It took me five years to draw by hand. So I knew there was a kind of an art market for it. And I wanted to see it like that as a limited edition signed piece and to have a certain number because the digital art printing is really beautiful. But, you know, people want this for their schools, for kids. They don't want a limited edition fine art print to put behind framing glass. So having posters, um, including laminated posters, was really important because I wanted kids to, just like when I was a kid, you just want to get right up in that map and run your hand all over it. And I had no pretensions about that. So it was just a matter of figuring out what it is that makes the map special and what people want and then turning that into a business. And um, yeah, it's been an interesting journey for sure. Well, let's come back onto that journey after uh, we do the quiz because I must admit, Anton, I could listen to you all day. I'm, I'm, I'm utterly fascinated and, and we're somewhat overrun with time here. So, um, right, Nick, you've got, you've got your pen and paper there, I see. Yeah, you're, you're nodding your head. Uh, Brett, I presume uh, you are doing the same, sir. So um, now it is uh, quiz time. So uh, these questions um, aren't quite as fiendish as, as last month. Uh, I know this one, yes. <laughs> Claire has gone a little bit easy, easier on us uh, this month. Right, so um, in what year did Abel Tasman lead a group of the first Europeans to New Zealand? Is the answer A, 1642, B, 1667, or C, 1696? 
So again, what year did Abel Tasman lead a group of the first Europeans to New Zealand? I thought this was a, a question that would be in honour of our conversation the other the other month around the Explorers podcast as well. Gotcha. Question number two. In 1990, New Zealand became the first modern nation to appoint what? Was it A, an official national wizard, B, a bird as a mascot, or C, an official hobbit? So in 1990, New Zealand became the first modern nation to appoint what? A, a national, an official national wizard, B, a bird as a mascot, or C, an official hobbit. Question number three, kiwi fruit is native to which country? A, New Zealand, B, Korea, or C, China? Again, kiwi fruit is native to which country? A, New Zealand, B, Korea, or C, China? Now, I know, Nick, that you've got a proud record doing these quizzes. You normally ace them, so... You don't want to let yourself down here, Nick. Question number four. New Zealand is part of a wider subcontinent, most of which is underwater. But how much? A, 64%. B, 79%. Or C, 93%. New Zealand is part of a wider subcontinent, most of which is underwater. But how much? A, 64%. B, 79%. C, 93%. Can I just say, this won't carry over to the podcast, but I'm loving the look of deep concentration on Antoine's face right now. <laughs> You'll be trying to picture that, that uh, underwater terrain. Like, is it this much or that much? <laughs> Question number five. Who is the head of state of New Zealand or in New Zealand? A, the prime minister. B, the queen. C, the governor general. Who is the head of state in New Zealand? A, the Prime Minister. Just had a baby last year, didn't she? she she's been rocking it in the COVID. Two years ago, I think. Was yeah. it two years oh, ago? Oh, she's, she's been wonderful, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, we're very lucky. B, the Queen. I presume that's Elizabeth II. And C, the Governor General. Who is the top dog, the head cheese, the big I am in New Zealand? The city of uh, Rotorua? How do I draw it exactly? Rotorua. Thank you, Uh, sir. Rotorua. Rotorua. Thank you. Uh, Has a distinctive smell. What is it? A. Sulfur. B. Manure. C. Coffee. So the city of, one more time, Anton? Rotorua. Thank you. Has a distinctive smell. What is it? A. Sulfur. B. Manure. C. Coffee. Now we're coming to the ground where I'm a little bit more firm on. Physical shapes of countries and their flags. All right, so um, three countries here that are all featured in Anton's uh, North American map. So that gives you a little bit of a clue. Starting from left to right, what is that country? A little bit of a clue for you. Many of the nations in this region have a similar flag because they all previously were part of the same country. So there's a little bit of a clue that helps to narrow it down. Remember, we've been talking specifically about the map which Anton spent uh, some 4,000 hours doing. So that narrows it down geographically if you've been paying attention as to which bit of the world this is. So the place in the middle is not a country, it is a state. It has a, a somewhat distinctive flag, whiskey. Bourbon is a famous export of this state. What is this state? And then lastly, for students of uh, late 20th century history, and I am definitely one of those, this small island nation uh, was invaded by the United States. What country is this? It's featured on Anton's North America map. Small island nation that uh, came a flashpoint for geopolitics in the 1980s. There you go. I'm sure Anton could recognise it by the shape of the coastline alone. Be disappointed if you couldn't, Anton. Very well, disappointed. I don't want to, you know, unpack it too much to reveal the answer, but that's actually an area of some weakness for me. Um, it just things get a little 
small there. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I, I, I did get it, I think. Yeah. Nick, Brett, you are our two companions on this podcast, uh, on this podcast recording this month. So if you have a, a question, um, feel free to unmute yourself and ask, uh, the, ask this, this crazy cartographer uh, why he's devoted so much of his life to draw, drawing maps. Whilst they scratch their heads and maybe come up with a question, here, here's another one for you. And, and I know I did touch on this before, before Nick comes in with his question. I was always told when I went off to art school, and I didn't finish art school. Art school finished with me, right? So I just like uh, failure in life with, with most things that <laughs> okay. I do. So, right. I was always told that the more rules there actually are, the greater the creativity. It's when you get in a blank piece of paper and just do whatever you go, I don't know what to do. Is that the reason why recreating a map, where there are conventions of the color of the water, conventions of the color of topography, uh, the low lying lands are a shade of green, the ice colored tundra is white. Does that still hold? Can somebody look at this map and say, bloody hell, that is completely not the Anton, as opposed to that's a drawing of, a, of North America. It's pretty cool, hmm. whatever. How much creativity can you really throw at it? How many rules can you break within these, you know, these, the constructs, the conventions of a regular map? Well, fantastic question because, um, there's no doubt that those rules uh, give you a lot of freedom. They give you a lot of options. Uh, I'm sure everybody knows the term writer's block or, you know, it's not just authors, it's everybody. It's musicians, it's, it's artists, it's, uh, it's everybody can suffer from that. Uh, but I don't because um, when I'm in the middle of a big piece, because I know what time it is, it's time to draw uh, Honduras. It's time to draw Oaxaca. So there's a certain freedom that I get where I am being, I'm just being guided by the geography. The map is much bigger than me. I'm trying to represent a continent. I'm just one person. And then the kind of things that I draw, the, the nature of the content and of course the style in which it's, it's been drawn by hand, that is a reflection naturally. And there's nothing I can do about it. That is a reflection of, of me to some degree. There's nothing on the map that's biographical to me. Nothing. I don't put myself in there. I don't, you know, choose to draw a city that I happen to stay in because a friend lives there, but it doesn't meet my criteria for population. I do nothing like that. All I do is I make the decisions about what to draw following the research. And that I think is where the uniqueness of the artistry comes in alongside with the, with the technical and the stylistic nature of the illustrations. Nick, so you've unmuted yourself. So you go for it. First, I've got a comment to annoy you, Roy Field. So I've just been looking at the map and I'm glad to see you put the stadium of the greatest american football team on there that's lambeau field in green bay oh right on yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> had to i mean i'd have got really annoyed yeah. if you hadn't put it on <laughs> in title town well and just just across the lake there's the the stadium in ann arbor as well of course which you you'd have to have given it size <laughs> you know, you, the, the fridge that you first drew the map have you got a have you got a photo of that or do i can pull that up for you very quickly now and and, and screen share it absolutely uh, anton whilst you get that up and then when you get it up could you uh describe it for us because remember this is also a, a podcast as well most people can listen to this as a podcast so really go into the detail of um the changes etc certainly yep and i will describe what i'm what i'm sharing um so this isn't close up so what you're looking at right now is a freezer actually i mean i always talk about the fridge most of it was drawn on the freezer because that was at the top um so you you basically can see it's not all of north america it cuts off at hudson bay and it doesn't go much past british columbia uh, but what you do get is the entire contiguous 48 you've got most of canada you've got all of mexico stretching down there to colombia and south america um, and actually the entire western spine of South America makes it onto the fridge. Uh, so if I show you a close-up, one of the things about it which you can't see in this image, but it's actually, I drew New Zealand on the fridge, even though it obviously doesn't make it. And it's because I was living in Canada and I just, well, it's, there's your artistic license. It's my map. I can put New Zealand on it. I put it in a little inset box and there's a, there's a bit of text around the box that explains that um, if New Zealand was in the correct location, it would be on the oven, which was just to the left of the fridge. 
(laughs) (laughs) Now, Brett, uh, we we can see you now. You're no longer the front end of a bus. Did you have a question, sir, before we go on to our um, video postcard? Well, my my experience is more with Australian stuff. I'm just down the road from Melbourne. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm in Geelong, so just down the road. What was your favourite state when you did draw the Australian part of that map? Oh, of the of the, the Australasia map, yeah. Of the map that preceded North America, yes. Yeah. Um, I, I would like to say Victoria because it's the smallest uh, outside of Tassie, <laughs> <laughs> and it's really nice because I can get the Twelve Apostles down there on the Great Ocean Road. It's just there, there's there's a lot of things that make the Victorian geography really fun to draw. It's got lovely mountains. The way the Grampians come out of the plains in the in the in the west is really nice, although. Honestly, I, I really love drawing Queensland because Queensland is just epic. It's epic. It's got a massive coastline. It's one of the largest subdivisions of any country in the world, although WA is larger. Um, and WA is the size of Argentina. So it's like, oh, wow. wow. Oh, yeah. Uh, WA is the second largest subdivision of a country in the world after a Siberian province or whatever the Russian yeah. states are called. And it's, it's huge. But Queensland, what you have, you've obviously got the reef. You've got the Great Dividing Range running down the entire coastline. You've got the gnarliest animals. I mean, you've got cassowaries and crocs and jellies and, and, and obviously all the classic Aussie animals as well. And just lots of space to fit it all in. I do look forward to drawing Australia again. Uh, right now, I'm drawing a world map of animals. And so there'll be a Australia on that, obviously. And that, that's going to be nice because... Yeah, it's been a while since I did since I did Aussie, and I've explored yeah. a, a bit of the country now. So you know, I love it. I love it here. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a question for you, Anton. Um, How much of New Jersey made it onto your North America map? Be careful how you answer this question. <laughs> All state capitals make it. That's a rule because they're, and I represent them with the flag of the state. So that's Trenton, right? You got mm-hmm. Trenton on there. Um, you don't have Newark. And that's important actually because large cities, big metro regions, you have to choose one skyline, you know, and with New York especially, there's no way. But in so, terms of New Jersey, yeah, the Pine Barrens, Atlantic City, Edison, it's, Edison, New Jersey, you know the Edison, New Jersey is know, not the, on the map. Oh, God, no, I'm sorry. damn it, sir! <laughs> so this link has not worked. So this is our audio postcard. This is sent in from William, who's from Edison, New Jersey. Hi, Raphael, Ty, Claire, and the Map Corner community. I'm William Lim, coming to you from Edison, New Jersey, in the northeastern USA. Approximately 40 degrees, 30.5 minutes north by 74 degrees, 23 minutes west. I've enjoyed the podcast over the last year, but it didn't really occur to me to record an audio postcard till last month when uh, Royfield said, 
my prize for winning the quiz was to record this. So uh, here we go. Um, I lived, I've lived in Edison for over 25 years, growing up here, uh, moving away for university, and then coming back when I got a job in New Jersey. Edison is a pretty typical bedroom community suburb, about 30 miles southwest from downtown New York City. But I'll share three things I find unique about my town, uh, the history, the demographics, and the geography. Uh, Edison is situated on the northern bank of the Raritan River and was originally known as Raritan Township. Um, in 1954, the name was changed to honor the inventor Thomas Edison, who had his first laboratory here. It was here in the Menlo Park section of town that Thomas Edison worked on the electric light bulb and the phonograph, uh, among 600 other inventions. In 1877, uh, Edison made the first sound recording at Menlo Park with a recording of Mary Had a Little Lamb. Um, by the way, I don't know anyone who can say that title without actually trying to sing it. Uh, can you? My family is from Taiwan, and I think I'm fortunate to have grown up in Edison, which has seen a huge influx of Asian immigrants over the last 20 to 30 years. Uh, anecdotally, I think the first wave of Asian immigrants were people from Taiwan in the 1980s, then Korea, India, and Pakistan in the 90s, and more recently from mainland China, the Philippines, and Vietnam. As a result, we have quite the ethnic diversity in our schools and shops and restaurants. I had many Asian and white and Jewish friends growing up, but my best friend is actually Jamaican. I remember thinking what a big deal it was when Asian Americans started getting deeply involved in local politics in the early 2000s. Uh, but then we elected a Korean-American mayor, and now it's quite common to see Asian-Americans serving on the school board, the town council, and the local par uh, political party committees. It's a common stereotype of New Jersey and suburbs in general that these towns are all cookie-cutter and just blend into each other one after the next down the highway. But speaking of local politics, uh, Edison's shape is a direct result of New Jersey's strong tradition of local municipal home rule. So if you imagine a donut, Edison is the donut and the enclave town of Metuchen is the donut hole uh, completely surrounded by Edison. Metuchen is a separately incorporated municipality and over the years, any effort to merge the towns has been met with strong resistance on the Metuchen side. I'm sure this partly explains why I find the study of the history and geography of enclaves so completely fascinating. I'll close out the postcard by saying that I'm glad to have the opportunity to share my thoughts with the Map Corner community. In this age of social media, it's wonderful to be part of a growing community of people who find that there's nothing better than to indulge in the wanderlust of staring at maps all day. Um, but uh, while I can't wait to start traveling again once this pandemic is over, uh, I know there's nothing like the feeling of returning to the familiar and that sense of home and for me, that's been Edison for many years. What we should do now is give you the answers for the quiz because we've actually overrun. You were too engaging, uh, too engaging by half, uh, Anton. I I've lost all measure of time. Um, let's do the answer to the quiz because I know Nick wants to win again, don't you, Nick? The this is my crown. I want it back off, William. Here we go. Question number one was what year did Abel Tasman lead a group of the first Europeans to New Zealand? And the answer was, Anton? Uh, 1642 A. Well done, sir. Number two, in 1990, New Zealand became the first modern nation to appoint what? An official national wizard. Christchurch. You knew that one yep. too? Yeah, oh, he's the most iconic person in Christchurch by far. <laughs> 
the Christchurch uh, wizard. I think he's still around doing his wizardry. What does the wizard do? Is he going to be like <laughs> the old town criers or something? Like, well, I, I'm not from Christchurch, so I don't, you know, I'm not best to answer it, but I, I, he, I, he hangs out in the town square and he does, you know, he's dressed like a wizard and he does, uh, just gives Magic? off wizard energy to, to people. Wow. Well, listen, uh, New Zealand is a country fa- famous for lots of political firsts, you know, first country to give women the vote. So I'm not going to knock, knock New Zealand, but it sounds crazy. But anyway. That's right. You know. Although I should give a quick shout out to South Australia for being, the, uh, they actually did it before us, but they weren't a country, they country, were a state. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, they were well ahead. Kiwi fruit is native to which country? The answer is C, China. Utterly did not know that one, Claire. Well done. Four, New Zealand is part of a wider subcontinent, most of which is underwater. But how much? The answer is 93%. I only ever heard of, uh, what's it called? Uh, Zealandia. Zealandia. Yeah, Yeah, I've never heard Hmm. of it before until last year. Well, it's amazing. If you look at a bathymetry map of the ocean, it's very clear. It's all the shallow land that extends. Mm. I actually guessed 79%, so I was wrong on this one, unfortunately. But that's how massive it is. It's, it's like, wow. Number five, who is the head of state of New Zealand or in New Zealand? Uh, it's the Queen, our Liz, Elizabeth II. Uh, the official I, head of state, not, you know, really. Yeah. But, but yes, you're right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's on our money. That's what counts. Good pun. <laughs> here, here, and here, Claire, is my Berlin link. So I've just come back from Berlin last weekend with with my daughter and she's about to go off to university and she's utterly bonkers about royalty. So we went to Charlottenburg, which was uh, Queen Charlotte's palace in Berlin. I said to my daughter on the way, how many realms, how many countries is Queen Elizabeth the head of state of? I got the answer wrong. She got it right. Shocked me. Uh, Nick, take a wild guess. How many countries is Queen Elizabeth II of England the head of state? 28. Oh, I guess 21. Uh, Brett, do you want to hazard a guess? Uh, about 15. Spot on. Well done, oh, sir. Wow. About 15. You knew the answer. You're trying to be modest. Oh, well I done. Guess. I should guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, she's the queen of Tuvalu and uh, many, many small places like that as well. My, my daughter utterly floored me by n- nailing that. The city of, and again, Rotorua. Has a distinctive smell. What is it? It is sulfur. That's it. It's very overpowering. Um, it is the, the 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 second largest geothermal region in the world after Yellowstone. It's all centered around that city. It's good job we've got you on the show to answer questions about, you know, to give us more detail on questions about New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. Happy all to right. help. <laughs> all right. So three, um, two countries one state. Here we go. The first one is uh, the outline of which country? Can you remember, Anton? That's Guatemala. Absolutely, is Guatemala. There's Brett nodding his head. Uh, and Guatemala and a lot of the countries uh, down in Central America used to be part of one country called the Central States of America, I believe it was called. Hence, they all have very similar flags: El Salvador, Nicaragua, etc., etc. Um then we have an American state. Um, again, Mr. Mr. Matman, uh, can you remember the name of this oh, state? Yeah, that, that, that's Tennessee, unmistakable. Absolutely is. It's uh, the Mississippi River running along the west there, and um, then the Blue Ridge, well, sorry, the, the Great Smokies on the east forming the borders. Props to you, Mr. And then uh, the last country of which the Queen is the head of state, Queen Elizabeth II, is... Uh, Nick, gonna hazard a guess? Well, it's not what I thought it was then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh! It's it, is it the Falklands? <laughs> oh no, no! It is Grenada. It's Grenada. Grenada. I thought I thought Cuba. Well, uh, funnily enough, there were Cuban troops there, which is one of the reasons why Reagan invaded, and uh, a very peculiar constitutional setup. Um, in the in the early 1980s, they had a, a left-wing communist coup, but the Queen was still the head of state. The Americans invaded and Margaret Thatcher got really upset because the Americans had invaded uh, a realm of Her Majesty and didn't even inform the British government that they were going to do it. So they had a communist head of, head of the, the government with a monarch um, as the head of, uh, uh, head of the nation. 
very peculiar. But that is the wonderful island of Grenada. So, um, Nick, how many did you get, sir? I only got two. <laughs> With all these questions, you only got two out of ten. Impossible. Yeah, well, I, I, I missed the first four by... I should have gone with my first choice and not not the second. Well, Brett, if you haven't got more than two, right, you need to hang your head in shame, right? The pair of you. Well, Nick, you actually do need to hang your head in shame. But Brett, you've got the lowly figure of two to beat. Please tell me you've beaten that. Six. Yay! Well done, Brett. Um, Anton, obviously you're just playing along for fun. And each, uh, the, the country shape ones, they count as one each? Yeah, they're one each. I feel like I've missed one if there was 10 because I've only got nine answers here, but I got eight. Yeah, I've only got nine. nine. Yeah. Um, but I got eight right. So I, I just, the one I got wrong was Zealandia. Um, Anton, being as you've now won the quiz, it means that you have to do an audio postcard for the next episode. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> just yeah. to, tell me oh, how we, to do we, it. And we call it a it prize. Some people call it a booby prize, you know. <laughs> Um, Claire, because we're massively running running uh, over time, uh, let's do social media roundup and then we can okay. follow up our maps. In the social media roundup, obviously most of the action's been on the Facebook group. Um, we've had a bit of a theme across the piece around some uh, on the you know linked to the hand drawn maps is uh, the crafted maps. So I had quite a lot of um, conversation around the the map that I posted, which was done in. Well, what we call in the UK hammer beads, but I, don't, I can't remember they call something else in the in the US, I think, with the flags of the European nations, uh, where we'd also had a someone post this uh, map of Canada, and there's also a, a, a map of the US as well, where each state is represented by um, Native American sort of beading, First Nations beading art, which is really beautiful. And um, our friend, Catherine Rowan-Jones, who's always good for a crafted map, shared a beautiful um, embroidered map with uh, all the orchid species of the UK um, on the Twitter. That was, uh, that was a big sort of theme. And uh, I think our most popular map uh, in, the, in the Facebook group in the last month has been the very simple map that shows the, uh, the line between tomato Europe and potato Europe, which broadly shows the southern part of the continent and the northern part of the continent. And um, Thomas Daly posted that into the group. And then Edward Pritchard suggested that that also aligns with the wine and beer split between mm. you as well. I'm sure Berlin's firmly within the beer element of that. Yeah. So, which is probably true. I imagine that the, 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 the tomato to potato line does broadly correspond with the wine to beer line. Uh, in, in the continent of Europe. So that was quite a fun one. Um, one that I really liked was one that Luke Baxter posted, which was around mapping iconic fictional road trips across the US and you know, different, different routes that were taken in different works of fiction. And that was, that was an interesting one to watch. So uh, those are some of the highlights from the, uh, from the social media group in the last month. Do we have a, a map fact of the month? I don't have a map fact of the month, but I have a map pedantic, pedantic correction of the month. Oh, all right. And this comes from the Facebook group. So mm. this was where um, uh, Guy Smith, it was, it was from Guy Smith, but Chris Malcolm posted um, a piece which was around a kind of video that showed Mercator projection countries adjusting to their real size. And a guy wins the, the, the pedantic prize of the month basically by saying, these are not showing the countries in their real size because, of course, any map is uh, a scale. Otherwise, the map is the size of the entire world. If they're showing the countries at their real size, <laughs> they're actually the real size. Um, and uh, and, I, and I, I just love that he took the time to make that point that any map hasn't got countries at real size. It's more that we're talking about they're looking at the, the, the relative size to each other <laughs> being correct as opposed to the real size of the country. Um, and I just thought, yeah, that's... Uh, that, that's right up my street, that is. So um, that was my favourite bit of the month rather than that fact of the month. Uh, smashing. Uh, are we just about done? Can we fold up our maps? I, I think we can pretty much fold up our maps. Anton, do you want to give us a, a, a quick plug for your website and then how we can watch your new map taking shape? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm at antonthomasart.com and that's got uh, all my work on there and you can check it out um, as well as links to social media. I'm particularly active on Instagram and Twitter. 
in Facebook. And so that's all on the website there. And this new map, which is called Wild World, or I might call it Wild Earth. I haven't decided yet. It's a world map of animals. So um, particularly on Facebook, I'm putting videos of me actually drawing it because some people didn't believe I was doing it for reals. They thought it was done by a computer. Um, so I was like, all right, let's get in there and show you how it's done. So check it out. Um, be great to have you. Okay, we'll put a link from the website, from the, uh, the Facebook group. Awesome. Um, I think that's just about us done then, Claire. Uh, and, and the third time of saying, can we fold up our maps? Can we fold up our maps? <laughs> We can fold up our maps now, Royfield. 